0: tried music to code by yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks Joe! And, you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of Music to Code By for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net.
1: .NET Rocks,
2: episode 1417, with guest Ben Hall. Recorded Friday, January 20th, 2017.
0: Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, we're here in the fishbowl still at uh, NDC London. And uh, this is day three for us. So we're, it's a uh, casual Friday. <laughs> as such as it is. Oh, so yeah. You're in the t-shirt. I, I'm, this, is the f- this is a first for me. Uh, Whenever we're working at a conference, I'm always wearing a .NET Rock shirt. Logo shirts, yeah. I just felt like wearing my toes are better than French fries t-shirts. There yeah. you go. Yeah. That's, so That's awesome. Casual Friday. But it, this is a very casual conference. Yeah. M. It's been a ton of fun. Yeah.
2: And yeah, we there's one order. The order we record these shows in is not the order we publish
0: in. So it's yep. always a challenge, but yep, yep, yep. Uh, it's all good. Well, Ben Hall's here. We'll be talking to him in a few minutes. But first, let's roll the crazy music for a little segment we call Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, dude. What do you got? All right. I found this um, set of React components called Ant. Ant Design. It's at design. Love Um, the new TLDs, huh? Yeah, but it's a little more than that. It's really a design language Hmm. for React. And you look into it and look at some of the components. Um, Yes, they do have components, but it's a way to put them together um, such that they make a lot of sense. And there's a lot of components, you know, from carousels and badges and timelines to grids to to autocomplete and and checkboxes. Cool. um, but React is really good at allowing
2: you to bundle web functionality together like that. Right? Yeah, like you, the the styling with the structure with the coded capabilities. Yeah, so it's not, it's an, a whole other control suite. And it's this looks like enough stuff that you can do something
0: extraordinarily horrible with it. Exactly. It's <laughs> it's just enough to uh, shoot yourself in the foot with, That's what especially all- for a, a React newbie like me. But I love. The idea that people are thinking so much about components, yeah, and it takes its form. Uh, you know, React is great for components in general, but mm. but it takes form in different ways. Uh, you know, this is just another another great uh, example of that. I love it. That's yeah. really they're beautiful too. Yeah, they do look but, great. And I and,
2: do think it's a basic gauge if something's, you know, if something's viable when you know you do something horrible with it.
0: Yeah, right. It's got to have
2: enough power. Right. This clearly has enough power. You do uh, something really horrible with it.
0: Yeah, and it, just looking around, the website is looks a little strange to me. Yeah. Um You know, if you, like, click on pattern at the top, mm-hmm. I'm getting kanji here. Nice. Uh, not that that's a bad thing. Well, um, you know, the, most people don't know about your other life as a Japanese person. Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's interesting, and I'm not even getting an option to uh, translate it. it. All right, almost looks like an April Fool's joke or some kind of computer programming somehow acid you, trip or something. Uh, somehow you went past the kanji. Right? Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. It's just your glasses could be. I don't know the answer? Yeah, to yeah it. they're a little smudgy. It's a little smudgy. There you go.
2: <laughs> All right, <laughs>
0: smudgy font. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, that's what I got. Who's talking to us, buddy? Ah,
2: know it, learn loving, love it, huh? It's <laughs> yeah. beautiful. I'm going to hang out there. That's, that's some yeah. good stuff. Grabbed a comment off of show 1322, shot back in July of 2016 with one Ben Hall. Never heard and of I him. I think that's when we first talked about Catacoda. Yeah. you know, It was Catacoda. a while oh. back. And got some nice comments, too. These are a few months old now. This is from Yan Trudel, who said, awesome podcast. Mm. I'm a student in computer science, and I'm doing my first internship right now. And I, let's say that discovering Catacoda is made my week or even my month. Big thanks to Mr. Hall for making it free for people like me running tight on money. This is a lifesaver. I know and understand the power of websites like Pluralsight, but the sub price is just a bit too much for me. So thank you for your the, your hard work and the time you put into Catacoda. Are you not allowed to make money on this? Is that the-
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: there are multiple ways to make money. It's not all about charging charging us developers. True. Right. Right. And and certainly students. Uh, but to top on that, it's just, you know, the Catacoda approach is not watch this video. It's it's yeah. much more interactive indeed, and, and indeed. dynamic, which is very cool. Uh, so, Yen, uh, congratulations on studying computer science. Glad Catacoda helped you. How about a .NET Rocks mug? We'll send one out to you right away. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET or via any of our social media. We publish every show to
0: Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. And send us a tweet. We use him to floss that pesky upper bicuspid. <laughs>
2: what? It's been a long week, hasn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yep, we're into the flossing phase of the week. <laughs> you know, it's
0: casual Friday. <laughs> I can be go. a little surreal. I, I just experienced this kanji acid trip. Yes. Uh, and you know, and now you're
2: worrying about I'm dental caring, care with Twitter.
0: <laughs> carrying it forward. <laughs> that's all. Go. Uh, let's introduce Ben Hall officially. Ben is the founder of Ocelot Uproar, which I always thought was like a, a sophisticated British version of Pussy Riot, if you think about it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> uh,
2: probably correct, actually. Yeah. Uh,
1: every, every podcast. Uh. I know. I can't help
0: myself. <laughs> I, can't, I can't help myself. Uh, Ocelot Uproar is a company focused on training and building products loved by users. Ben enjoys looking for the next challenges to solve, usually over an occasional beer. Ocelot Uproar recently launched, well, last year, a couple years ago. Ocelot Uproar is uh, famous for launching Katakoda, which we were talking about, katakoda.com, K-A-T-A-C-O-D-A, an interactive learning environment for software engineers. Uh, ben tweets at ben underscore hall and blogs at blog.benhall.me.uk. Welcome back, Ben. Thank you very much. It's very
1: good to be here.
2: Yeah, it's very good to be here. Excited to see you, my friend. Always, and, uh,
1: always. I was kind of expecting from uh, light refreshment in the booth by now, uh, it being Casual Friday. It uh,
0: being Casual right. Friday. It's still before uh, noon. True, uh, w- true. We have done shows where we've had bottles of scotch in here. We have indeed. I yeah. think that happened last year. Yeah, I think so. And it uh, may happen again, just not now. Just not now. Not for me.
1: None for me. <laughs> not for you. Oh.
0: <laughs> you were the first guy... We talked to on .NET Rocks about Docker. I think that's true. Yeah, very cool. So you—it's a couple of years now. Yeah, yeah. you were yeah. the guy.
1: Yeah, you we have to- uh, all seen it, watched it evolve. Yeah, of its beautiful journey from being something which was. um just me, yeah, <laughs> kind of like for a going, while there. No, uh, yes, this will be cool. Trust me, yeah. <laughs> it will be fine. Even though if it looks a bit weird at the moment, and, and it, to, like now it's a
2: it's a thing. It's it's a people are really getting onto it, and I still think we're nowhere where we could be. Like I feel like this is a fundamental shaper to where we build software going forward. I, I, I also deeply appreciate that Katacoda is you know, like dependent on containers. This is how you make
1: this thing work. Completely, yeah. Without containers, it would be very very difficult to deliver the speed in Mm -hmm. which we can provision the interactive environments and also uh keep it secure because Mm. we give everyone a terminal window and they can do whatever they want and we don't have for credit cards we don't have for email addresses it's just like have fun yeah have a play see what you want try not to hurt anybody Uh. exactly which (laughs) sometimes does mean that people try and delete some files and like change passwords Mm. or reboot catacoda which is entertaining to watch and see it come through but yeah without without containers there it would have been um much more, more destructive do you yeah. have the
0: ability to drop in on somebody's session and say hey this is ben what the heck are you doing
1: <laughs> <laughs> like the sysop uh,
0: used to be able to do on a bbs remember that
1: <laughs> yes yeah now that would that could potentially freak them out when they're trying to in zone learning yeah, yeah. Like, a little oh, ben be pops so up awesome. in the i
0: see you're trying to run a container <laughs> actually maybe a bot would be best you know as an april fool's joke yeah. you just do it once a year yeah, yeah.
1: maybe maybe on april the 1st if you go into Catacoda good. on April 1st and maybe a Clippy. Clippy just, pops up. Yeah, just in the corner, <laughs> just going, like, I see
0: you're trying to program in C sharp. Yeah. Hey, are you digging a grave? Is that a business <laughs> or a personal grave? Can I help you with that? <laughs> <laughs> Catacoda going well?
2: It's going very nicely. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So it's going very the, good. The, the um, repertoire is expanding. Like, do I see more classes.
1: Yeah, so we've got more content. Um, we've still got the, we had very good feedback on the .NET course. Cool. Um, which I think we released similar just before just after we spoke mm-hmm. um, last time. And that kind of walks people through deploying .NET Core into containers and deploying it onto Linux. Wow. And now that .NET cores are like here, and that's where everyone's moving towards, we've had very good feedback. Um, delivered some workshops this week. Yeah. took advantage of Catacoda. So wow. um, instead of having that weird first hour and a half of getting everyone's Windows machine set up and dealing with weird Linux versions, it was just like, no, it's all on Catacoda. Let's just start being productive. We only have 8 hours so let's kind of take advantage of that. That's cool.
0: How is Katacoda paid for?
1: Um so we are doing multiple things with multiple different vendors. Uh so Katacoda powers the Kubernetes interactive tutorials. Okay. Um so if you want to try Kubernetes, which is a uh, container orchestration, a way to run containers at scale. Yeah. yeah. It's um, the op- it's an open source library but Google hosts it. Uh, Great instance of it. Yeah, mm. so it kind of was spun out from Google um, and one of their white papers um, and how they run containers internally. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, they've got 10 years mm. experience yeah. of doing this. And they yeah. like, let's share that. And the best way to share that is through an open source project. Right. Oh, that's great. So they kick-started it. And now it's got Red Hat working on it. It's got Microsoft working on it. It's going to have Azure container support. Wow. Services are all going to be supporting Kubernetes. So it's it's like a significant... And, and so Based.
0: basically you've just partnered up with people who have a, a similar interest in getting people knowledgeable about containers yeah. and everything. And that's what keeps it free and free exactly. and legal.
1: Yeah. So, um, the vendors who have the problem with like, we have awesome products. How do we get it in people the hands of people effectively and quickly and get them to the value, uh, as soon as possible without spending hours downloading and configuring yeah. it and then hitting some weird abstract thing, which they missed and then go like, Oh, right. it doesn't work. And. They're complaining they on. on Twitter and they're moving on. Yeah. And so we kind of solve that problem. We get people to see the value and then they're motivated to install it. And if they hit a problem, they saw that it works. They know what it can deliver. And so they're more likely to yeah. persevere. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's true. what we're working with vendors to deliver. That's
0: cool. So we noticed that you're talking about Windows containers these days. And we thought, wow, it would be really great to get your perspective on Windows containers because you are obviously one of the first people we know. <laughs> that did uh, containers at all, so you're you're kind of in a uh, a good position to have a perspective that could be very helpful for for non Windows developers and Windows developers to uh, experience this. Indeed,
1: and I think as this was an unexpected part of the Docker container journey when I started, because like Microsoft, like they've tried to have containers before, mm-hmm. they've had various research projects happening about creating secure OSs inside Linux, uh, right. inside Windows, and how to get that work. But I was surprised at qu- just how quickly they got it to work and got it released. And the fact that they could get it into the Windows Server 2016 release, which came out a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. I think is a testament to uh, Microsoft's effort and motivation in order to make this
0: happen. I think, sure. I think Mark Krasinovich was one of the, one of those guys, wasn't he? Oh Looking yeah, no, he's,
1: a, he's
2: big on containers because he's one of the CTOs of Microsoft, right? Like yeah. he, he cares a lot about making this happen. Yeah. But the other guy is Jeffrey Snover. He's Snover. Just yeah. all over making make this happen. And you've got Nano Server and you know, like they're clearly getting into tooling to make this significant. It, it strikes me that they, I suspect, and I don't have evidence of this, I suspect they were trying to develop something that was container-like internally when Docker finally, you know, surfaced on the radar. And like, oh, look,
0: here's a whole community already knows this is valuable in doing it. Let's just adapt what we're doing to that. But Docker is made possible by an actual hook in the operating system Linux itself, right? Did Windows have a similar hook that they could use or do they have to add that?
1: Completely. So the way Docker works when it was originally released was it would talk to the Linux kernel. And so it, would, um, when a process started via a Docker container, it would add additional security and additional sandboxing. And it was kind of taking advantage of hooks which were already there. Um, which were committed by like the likes of Google and yeah. the likes of Red Hat. Right. Um, and so they could take advantage of that, but the hooks were so difficult for most developers to use. It, you had to be so committed and so passionate mm. to take advantage of it. And mm-hmm. so Docker made that possible. And so that kind of really kickstarted the whole containerized okay. uh, landscape. And so when, as you're saying, like Microsoft had been trying to do this for a few years and they had stuff kind of like interesting research projects happening. But I think seeing how the Linux kernel had took advantage of it, how Docker and uh, used those hooks in order to be able to deliver the container service. Mm-hmm. I think it kind of was like a focus and I think the years and years of research what Microsoft had already put into this was like, Cool, like we now have a developer experience that we can tie onto this mm-hmm. and work alongside and work with in order to be able to achieve our goal. Right. Um and so Microsoft was just, I think it's kind of like a f- refreshing thing to see that most have reached out to Docker and said, like, we're doing this. Like, let's work on it together, not yeah. reinvent the wheel each mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. it will be better if we deliver this as a like a nice togetherness project.
0: That seems like a sea change in terms of Microsoft's MO, isn't it? I mean, they've been criticized for years, you know, Windows NT, going back yeah. to that, that, that they. Could have learned from you know the things that Linux had overcome, uh, that exactly. they didn't. And it's it's just that whole refreshing
1: new Microsoft way of thinking, like more open source, more collaboration, yeah. more transparency in what they're doing. And this is why we've got Windows container support, and we have got it early, and it works, and like people mm. can build upon it, yeah. and it integrates into all of the other ecosystem and all of the other tooling Hmm. because they've decided to embrace it instead of going, which historically Microsoft probably probably would have gone like, oh, we'll just build alongside and another version of what we're doing like 10, 15 years ago. And now they haven't. And so that's why everything is a lot faster and we can start seeing the benefits and start delivering containers in a more
0: uh, streamlined way. So Docker containers work in Azure, Docker containers work on Windows, why have Windows containers? Very good question. So, if you look at what containers are, or what the benefits
1: of containers are for those who uh, are new to them. So, what we want, we've got processes. right? We've got applications which start and you run them on uh, a host machine or a host server, and they have complete access to everything. They can go interfere with other things running on the machine, Mm -hmm. they can Change all of the registry settings. They can change all of the internals, and that's where you get like the weird fun and games with you've installed something and now it's broken a really random application in another part of the system. Right. And like this, not being able to sandbox and restrict these applications, kind of driven driven us to virtual machines. Right. And so we wanted to add some isolation, some security, some confidence in making changes, and so we added these huge operating systems and these huge virtual machines. And especially in Windows, like right, it's not a th- quick thing to boot up. It still has to go through the stages, go through the steps. You are
2: installing an OS and yeah. doing all that base configure and so forth. And you can automate it for a fair bit of that, but it takes a lot of tooling. And yep. it's gigs. Every time it's gigs.
1: Exactly. It's a not It's been cut down. It's not streamlined. It's a significant thing. And then you go back into the sysprep world, which from my last experience, you still had to mount floppy disk drivers. Yes. And it was like... Okay, it works. You're setting up an ISO image.
2: Yeah. But it's effectively, yeah, I need a drive. Mm. It's this I, this ISO. Yeah, exactly.
1: And now you take that and you run it in the cloud. So you run it on ec two or Azure. Like, Yes, you can automate everything, but you're still delivering gigabytes of images and you're mm-hmm. still de- pushing around huge, big, massive. And I've never games. been able to get
2: those deploys under minutes. Exactly. I mean, admittedly, once upon a time, it was days. But it's still minutes, so you can't really be dynamic
1: with this, right? And what we want to get to the point is that we've got a new build which goes out, and we want to be able to roll that out in seconds. And right. we want, if we hit a scaling peak, we want to be able to scale up quickly and then scale back down quickly. Right. Mm-hmm. And if it takes ten minutes to boot up, like what, what I ended up doing, we lost all of your traffic.
2: Yeah, I, what we ended up doing for, like, busy weekends is we just stood up twice as many VMs as we ne- thought we needed. Yeah. Because I'd ra- cause the cost of the dormant VMs was not that high, and light-up times were just too long. Exactly. But it, and wasn't, it wasn't the
1: beautiful elasticity we were promised. Indeed, and that's the dream, which, like, that's what we see, and that's what we want. And that's yeah. kind of what Linux has had. Yes. And traditionally, Linux, especially for the last three years with containers... You, if you want to scale out, you just run more containers, yes. which is basically just starting more processes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the wall sandbox are all nicely isolated, there's nothing conflicting with each other, they can all run versions in parallel. Mm. Um, and so, like, you look at the Linux world, and it was all automated and scalable, mm. and that's why it brings that to Windows. And I think that's why Windows containers are so important, because it adds, for, at least for me, who's not so invested in things like System Center and hmm. like the Those like, are expensive. The enterprise tooling which Microsoft right. can deliver. It's quite heavy for me who wants yeah. to, to automate a dot net application release to invest in that. Sure. And so when
0: does containers run dot net, they run Windows and that's a big difference, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so
1: now I can deliver my traditional uh Windows applications, my traditional IIS applications. Yeah. Using the same tooling, using the same mindset, using the same approach what do with Linux, but focused on the Windows world. And I get the best of both that way.
0: This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Stackify Prefix, an insanely cool and transparent and free profiler for developers. It runs in the background and catches bugs, including exceptions that get caught and thrown away before anyone knows you wrote them. Get detailed traces of every request. There's no messy configuration or code requirements, and best of all, it's fast and transparent. Hey, did I mention it's free? And not free like a puppy, free like beer. Download it now at prefix.netrocks.com. How does Hyper-V play into all of this stuff? Yeah,
1: Hyper-V, actually uh, it's been extremely useful for Microsoft to have Hyper-V mm-hmm. because they could deliver something which isn't possible in Linux or... Isn't possible yet in Linux. So Hyper-V, you can spin up virtual machines, and they give you a nice separated operating system, which doesn't interfere with the kernel, etc. Right. So with containers, Docker and containers do kernel virtualization. Mm-hmm. So the only thing which the kernel has access to on the host is the kernel, and this gives it like native I/O, native CPU support, and like the speed benefits and the performance benefits. Mm. But if you're kind of like hyper securely sensitive to potential attackers, right. I.e. you're Azure and you're running code which is from interested third parties. It, it could be hostile. It could potentially it could be aimed and targeting to attack you. Right. Or you're running in heavily audited PCI compliance and mm. you're multi-tenanted, so you've got super important bank A and super important bank B. Right, yeah. Like, if they kind of accidentally talk to each other, that would be super, super bad.
2: Yeah, there would be consequences.
1: Exactly. Super um, bad. And so what Hyper-V containers can deliver is um, an additional layer of security. So instead of you booting up an entire operating system, like all of that, entire Windows operating system and all of the... Um, kind of speed and overhead that you would traditionally think about. Instead, what Microsoft built is a Windows utility virtual machine. And it's super lightweight, super small. It doesn't even persist any data to disk. Its whole purpose is to deliver another isolated kernel. And so that when you run that container, it's just talking to a kernel all sitting by itself, which can't interfere with any of the processes. And so it's adding just like containers are secured if it's adding an extra dimension to make sure that everyone's happy and everyone's involved. So the way I've
2: heard this described is, when it's your code, run them all in Windows containers. When it's someone else's code, run it in a Hyper-V container. Exactly, yeah. Just mm. because you can't you can't guarantee... You don't know you don't exactly know. what's going to happen and yeah. you don't want to know.
0: Deceptive. Does that mean that we are not trusting uh, Windows containers to be completely <laughs> uh, autonomous?
1: <laughs> so if you look at the Linux world... Um, Docker has been running for the last three years. Um, there's been one container breakout happen, which was that whole, uh, dirty cow, vulnerability, uh, yeah. which came out like six months ago. Right. Um, mm. but apart from that, containers have been deemed secure. Right. And even dirty cow wasn't a widespread problem as you would imagine. Yeah. So they do happen, but they are, they are considered secure. Windows right. containers do it slightly differently. Um, that obviously Microsoft are so focused on security now, I'm sure they've been like tested by multiple, multiple, multiple parties yeah. uh, to make sure that they are secure. But I think this is more from a auditing perspective. Got like
0: there is how absolutely no way to clean can reach out, walls, out of exactly, the yeah. container.
1: Exactly. And that's where you have a PTI compliance auditor comes in and says like, ah, they're winning on the same machine you can actually say like, well no, they're winning virtual machines and you're happy with virtual machines. So Yeah, yeah. like this, gotcha. is, this is a tr- traditional way, just without the traditional virtual machine guest operating system, um which is required.
2: Okay. But in anything short of that, it sounds like there's very few cases where you actually want Hyper-V containers. You usually want Windows containers.
1: Yeah, I think, obviously, as more and more companies adopt these, and then we'll start to see best practices and uh best ways to adopt. But from everything which I'm seeing, everything which I'm experiencing, Windows containers will get you the way there, unless yeah. you've got some weird, wonderful... Problem, yeah, and then Hyper-V containers are there to back you up, right? And they get,
2: and there's not like they're different from each other. You could switch container models if you wanted.
1: Oh, completely. So when you run a Windows container using the Docker tooling, you say Docker run, IIS, right? For example, and that will w- run as a Windows container. Mm-hmm. To run as a Windows Hyper-V container, you do Docker run, uh, set an isolation flag equals Hyper-V, your container, and that's it. That's mm-hmm. it. Under the covers, it will add an extra hundred milliseconds. Boot up time while it spins up and isolates that virtual machine. And right. then that's it. Wow. Like, it's now in a separate kernel, which can't be interacted with in Does any way. Does it affect networking or anything? Everything else is transparent. Right. Um, Windows is built around, um, NAT network interfaces. So yep. it's taking advantage of traditional networking, which mm-hmm. we're using in virtual machines anyway. Yep. So it's reutilizing all of that Hyper-V support, which is already there in Windows. Yeah. Um, so that's why Microsoft could get, it is really so software defined re- networking, right? Yeah because yeah. like they've done an awful lot of work to get Hyper-V working effectively, and so now containers are just like a natural extension yeah. with the right hooks in the Windows kernel being added. Nice, mm-hmm. just a little layer on top of it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then we can go through and build uh, our application. So um in my talk today, I took uh, the NerdApp application. Mm-hmm. Um, What's that? Uh, so this was an MVC2 ASP.NET sample application. Um from way back in the day built by Scott Hanselman and Jungle Away and all of these mm. awesome people. Um and I was like, well, you know, what would happen if you tried to deploy that? Yeah. And like, could you take something which is ten years old and deploy it at the Windows container? Right. And so that's where I was like, oh, you add IIS. It's like, oh, you had Windows features. Okay. And needs ASP <laughs> don't have four support. It's like, okay, I can you can add that as a Windows feature through PowerShell yeah. and then dropped it on It was like, oh look, it works. Yeah. And it was just like this amazing uh, mm-hmm. Idea that you could take out applications which six years old, yeah, no one's touched, no one's maintained, no one's modified the source code, and then right. drop them in a container and they just and work have them running in an automated way. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, that is. Well, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? <laughs> it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to go now to our Brando Cam on the waterfront. Brando Cam. I could have been a container. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, oh, no, please. Make the bad man stop. <laughs> Marlon Brand is a piece of furniture. I could have been a cadenza. <laughs> All right. Could
1: have been a so, dictator. It's
0: actually time to give away an AppVinex coffee mug to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. AppVinex is your trusted partner for transforming legacy systems into beautiful modern apps. This is my consultancy, which I started in 2015, representing talent, which I mostly called from the .NET Rocks listener base. The AppVinex team has the experience and intelligence to bring your app into the 21st century, no matter what the technology stacks. Contact us today at appvinex.com.
2: All right, buddy.
0: Who's our winner? Today's winner is James Raiden. Congratulations, James. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for James Raiden. And James just won a coveted appvnext coffee mug just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And Ben, it's your turn now. You know what's coming. You have five grand, you're going shopping, what are you buying?
1: Yeah, it's surprising. Every, I've been on this show so many times, <laughs> um, and I keep forgetting that you're going to ask that question <laughs> until you do. And it's like, oh, yeah, right, sorry. Um, mm. So, I recently bought a Surface 3 Pro, so a really small, lightweight one. And that was, like, the best technology purchase I've bought in a while. Oh, With, that's awesome. Uh, Windows 10 is actually remarkably... Uh, improved on what i expected mm-hmm. yeah. Um i can power it from a usb so mm. uh, i can use it on a flight so when i'm flying to america for conferences i can actually watch my own videos it's extended nice. so that was like a foundation so traditionally i would have said i have one of your surface books right but you mm. know my surface 3 pro is kind of like get me 90 wow. of the way there sure um Lovely. so hololens obviously looks awesome yeah. mm. will be interesting to see where that goes yeah um,
0: what about the surface studio do you like that
1: uh, I live in central London. That will yeah. take over my entire apartment. <laughs> like, I can have this computer or a bed. <laughs> yes. And uh, n- the two will overlap significantly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's not quite that bad, but it kind of is. It's a, it looks pretty. It looks ah, amazing. It's lovely. Yeah. We don't expect Microsoft to make,
2: you know, gear you admire, gear. Yeah. right? It's exactly. like a work of art.
1: Indeed. So I guess what I'm, technology was, I am intrigued by, it's using ARM um, devices in servers. Yeah. So like ARM devices on phones have been awesome and they've kind of made, made it all happen. Yep. So now ARM um, is focused on delivering CPUs designed for the data center. Yeah. And so you can have one which is running 2 gigahertz on 96 cores at like a fraction of the cost from your traditional intels. Sure. So I'm intrigued by that. Um, and I think IoT and ARM um, and where that's going, both super small and super big. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. more technology to play around with that. I so guess. I That's saw cool.
0: a stick computer that Todd Gardner had inside, you know, in oh, the yeah? expo hall here. And he's got it plugged into the back of a little Dell projector that is no bigger than one of those micro little, PCs. A little Pico projector? Yeah. It, it's literally five mm. inches square yeah, yeah, and like an the inch. Size high. Of a paperback. Yeah, and and he's got one of these arm PCs in you know in there running windows well, 10 the hdmi port just to pull up a web browser and do a like a javascript quiz that's right pretty awesome. exactly and and, and it's a hundred bucks right that pc a <laughs> right. hundred bucks yeah. but imagine if you had
1: like five thousand pounds worth of those clustered together, yeah. had, like, those together.
0: Like, they'd be everywhere no that would no, be no, wait a just, 100 just 100. that's a lot of hdmi that ports. is you could buy one iphone or five or six pcs yeah, yeah. exactly and so gubba, gubba, gubba. Yeah. <laughs> what, is, a, yeah.
2: what does pc mean anymore Wow.
0: Honestly, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's a weird, just another it's a weird form factor of compute. Yeah, true. and
1: uh, obviously, like Docker and containers are everywhere, and yep. also on ARM um, and IoT devices. Yep. So I can still use my traditional tooling and my traditional workflow to get IoT applications deployed onto them. Well, and then just scale them out.
0: That, that it, it's always a question that I like to ask container people, and the answer is not yet. But containers on the desktop to isolate applications from each other. I mean, we're sort of going there with the Windows, in Windows anyway, with the Windows Store apps, you know, and universal yep, apps. Yep. You could submit a Win32 app or a classic .NET app right. into the store. And as far as I understand, when it downloads and runs, it runs in a what has to be called a container.
1: Yeah, it's taken advantage of the application virtualization hooks, which are like a different part of the Windows kernel, a different... But- Similar. The premises of what you're trying to achieve are very similar. Yeah. You want a simple way to deploy, be secure, scale, and make sure that everything's self-contained. Yeah. Um, and start it very quickly.
0: Um, and have all the dependencies that you need. Uh, so, if, so if Edge, for example, or IE, could have a mode where every single tab opens up in a completely isolated environment, um, you know... Copy and paste would be difficult, but maybe not. Maybe, you know, those are the things that you could do manually through the UI.
1: Yeah, so this is how Chrome works. Chrome, fundamentally, each tab is um, running as a container. And on Linux, it takes a lot of the advantages of the same technologies that Windows, Docker takes advantage of. No so kidding, I didn't know C-groups that. Cgroups and set and all of those are how Chrome keeps itself out of the sandbox and keeps itself secure.
0: Right? I had no idea. So the
1: malware cannot get to the OS. Exactly. And because it's blocked out all of those system calls, right. so even if you're running a zoomable flash thing which tries to do some nasty, horrible things, there's a lower layer to support, i.e. the containerized technology, which blocks it from making the system calls which it wants to make. That's brilliant. I, I, I suspect it, it probably it makes secure. the
2: calls or tells it it makes the calls, it just doesn't actually do anything.
1: Yeah, so it will catch the kernel and the kernel will go like, oh, you're not allowed to do that. Yeah. That, like, that, not here. Does not it today. kill the process at that point? or?" Uh, the process would probably fall over depending on how yeah. it handled it. Um, but, yeah, it gets an operation not supported or something, not allowed. Um, I just remember Microsoft doing tricks where, like, if you were still trying to write to System32, it said,
2: "Yep, yeah, no problem, and then actually stuck it in a completely different folder yeah. over an app data. So it's like
0: badly behaved software thinks it's doing its nasty tricks. It just doesn't actually work. Well, and there's another classic attack vector, which is you go to somebody's website, you know, Bob's software or whatever, and he's got some tool to, oh, I don't know, uh, uh, yeah, I have no idea. You know, some little utility that you need to do something. Yeah, you know? but like maybe it's like a a virtual audio cable or some system yeah. thing that is going to integrate into the control panel and all this stuff. And you download it, and maybe it's got a virus, or maybe it's bundled with something that is viral in nature, or uh, you know, and and that just completely hoses your machine. Yeah, completely. I mean that's a classic problem with Windows.
1: Yeah. Oh, and always, and it's like you install something which is not malware and something like traditional and then it installs an IE toolbar. Yeah. And it's like, well, okay, I get where you're going with that, but really that's not... That's not kosher. You're yeah, out of here. Exactly. I don't
0: want to clean it up. I just want to kill it. And wouldn't it be great to have, uh, you know, something like Chocolaty be able to just spin up a new machine in a container that has all of the stuff that you yeah, want. Yeah. You know. I forgot how
1: awesome chocolatey was. Yeah. So when <laughs> I was doing prep for my talk, uh, I had Windows Server 2016, went to IE, tried to download an executable and it's like, not with these security settings. I was like, ah, oh, yes. Servers, IE, not best friends. Yeah. Not happy. Uh, would PowerShell to install look, chocolatey and it's like, oh it's just like home. It's yeah. Like, yeah. In- Everything. Command works. line install atom. It's like, Right, perfect. Um, <laughs> like I had all of the tooling which I needed, didn't have to open IE, and it just was like this really nice approach. Yeah. So combine that with containers, and I feel like I'm yeah. uh, or managing a Linux system, which yeah. previously with Linux, uh, Windows would not have been the case. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and in terms of containers on desktops, well, because of how Windows containers work, they work on Windows 10. Right. So you can uh, build and deploy... Windows containers on Windows 10 on your development experience in exactly the same way that you do on Windows Server Core, uh, Windows Server 2016.
0: And you can run Windows apps like Visual Studio in them?
1: Not yet. So it can't interact with a uh, desktop, but you can run an IIS and yeah. have your development experience to make right. sure that it works before you push it out and kind of... It doesn't push doesn't it push that make sense, staging. though,
0: instead of, having, oh, completely. instead of having a Visual Studio install that takes forever and forever and forever? I just want an image. Somewhere, and I just want to say, Oh, on this machine, I want to run my Visual Studio. Yeah. And I've container. done that with oh. Hyper V VMs, but they're slow. Like, yeah, they're it slow and come they're for free. Hungry. Yeah. 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 So and it's
2: resource intensive. It's why we have 64 gig desktops. Right. Right? 64 bit. 64 gigs. <laughs> Oh, like,
0: 64 gig of RAM yeah, desktop machines. Yeah, because I yes, want to yeah. be able
2: to run, you know, it's kind of nice to light up two separate VMs that are
0: configured for two different customers yeah. with the full dev suites. I look at a guy but like... they want 16 gigs each. Like you and Brian Randall always have those mega monster machines yeah. with 64 gigs yeah. of RAM yeah. just so that you can run all these VMs. Just so I can boot SharePoint. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did I say that Rob? That's not right. But, I mean, a proper enterprise implementation of... Of SharePoint for testing is a copy of SQL Server in a VM yeah. and a copy of the SharePoint uh, hosting in, in in another VM and a front end SharePoint mm-hmm. host. Like it's a lot of stuff, and it, and it used to be all just virtual machines. So indeed, to you know, I also have a server rack at home, so I can offload <laughs> some of that work because I'm that kind of nut. But you know, that's why you built these ultra beefy machines. But the reality is, each of those things could be running in Docker and be a heck of a lot lighter.
1: Yep. So we've now got SQL Server running mm-hmm. inside containers, um, and so when you're when you're deploying your .NET application and you need SQL Server, yep, just do Docker run SQL Server, mm. and you've got it there. So, so what's now, the role
2: of Server 2016 in this? Like, why do we need it? Uh so we still need a Windows kernel. So this is the host environment for the VMs that, or for the uh, for the, the, the containers. containers. Yep.
1: So if you look at how I run Linux, my Linux. Operating system implementation is Ubuntu with some like I/O monitoring and CPU tooling to see right. what the thing is doing, see what the and loads are like. Docker, right? And that's it. Everything else is configured and running as a container, hiding in these containers. Yeah. And that's where uh, everything on Windows will be the same. Right. You've got Windows, which is sitting there hosting Docker, and then everything else is running the applications which have been configured as Docker containers. So Windows
0: containers host Docker. Containers uh, for Windows. How does that work? Or so
1: uh, you've got Windows. That's hosting Docker. That's hosting your, your Docker oh, containers, right. which is getting configured and got everything running.
0: So what's the difference between Windows containers and Docker for Windows?
1: So Docker for Windows is Docker's branding, Docker's marketing uh, mm. tooling around what you need for a development time experience.
0: But it's still – is it is it Linux OS on Windows? So, or is it a, a Windows OS on Windows?
1: So when you download it, uh, you get uh, all the tooling which you need in order to be able to run containers. Um, but you also get the Linux VM. Because remember that kernel Docker is kernel virtualization. So okay. you've, you, to run uh, Linux-based containers, you still need a Linux kernel. And likewise, with Windows containers, you still need a Windows kernel. You I can't see. mix and match and swap them like what so you want So Docker with, for Windows is running Windows? The Docker for Windows will download the Linux virtual machine so that you can effectively run uh, Linux containers and also the tooling so you can effectively switch to Windows containers at the same time and so you can manage both sides of the equation. So on a
0: Windows machine, and a Windows server, if you want to run Windows apps, you use Windows containers. And if you want to run Linux apps, you run Docker for Windows.
1: Yes, which has got the Linux virtual machine built in. Yes. Right.
2: Um, you, do, got it. you do need to have this virtual machine somewhere, even yeah. if it's not actually the
1: host environment. Indeed, yeah, yeah, but yeah. typically it's the host environment. You need the you need the Linux kernel, which is the host. Right. Um, yeah. Obviously, when you go to production and you're using things like the Azure Container Service, the dream of what we're heading towards is you'll have uh, you'll have Windows hosts running Server 2016, mm-hmm. which will run all your applications which require Windows, right? Like your IIS and your .NET applications. And then alongside that in the same cluster, you'll have your Linux machines, which could run SQL Server for Linux, uh, .NET Core, new shiny, fresh microservices, which have been designed for it, alongside your legacy IIS based applications. And
2: so in your, uh, in these container manifests, you're specifying what kernel you want?
1: Yeah. When you build it, you first say, uh, what your base image is. Right. And so when you're building, uh, like, for Linux, you say from Ubuntu or from right. Debian or CentOS. Yeah. Right. And f- with Windows, you say from Microsoft slash Windows Server Core or Windows mm. Nano. Right. I mean, that's how it uh, will build for is the it, different Are stats. they version
2: specific or is it just like
1: a name? You know, you definitely need to specify the, the version as well. So okay. uh, with Windows, that gets a little bit interesting because Windows updates. Like right. Windows mm. updates in a container. That's kind of counter to container mentality, right? Exactly. Like the whole premise of what we want to get to is repeatable, consistent builds. Right. And what we build is what's running in production. Right. Windows updates are just kind of going to go, well, I'm just going to install an update, which may or may not work. So then
0: you turn, you can turn off updates though. Yeah. So
1: by default, they were, they were updated, they're disabled. And now when you build your image, you specify the Windows build, um, what the five-digit number, exactly, right? like, lovely one which no one can remember. I want mm. fifteen seven ninety two, like it, that, and that, that kind of thing. for people like yourself who obviously can
0: remember it. And it's that just, <laughs> there is not a useful skill. Does that change with uh, with knowledge base updates or? It uh, in- uh,
1: so when they do their patch Tuesday yeah. um, and security rollouts, they will push a new image to the Docker registry which is where all the docker oh, images are stored. Wow, yeah. So you just um, grab the latest one you, and yeah. you go. I you grab the, the, the latest
2: one. But the whole thing here when you're talking about a stable build, right? It's absolutely consistent. It's like you just need to know what that version number yep. is and when you specify that version number, that's the build it's going to exactly. get. And you if can, on
0: patch Tuesday you get a, you know, there's a vulnerability that's patched, you you get it, you test it, and now that becomes your new You normal. update the template.
1: yeah, Exactly. Right. And then you rebuild everything, you roll it out and you push it through your entire CI/CD right. pipeline. Which is pipeline. one button push. Yep. More yeah, more or less. Yeah, <laughs> well, but more it relevantly, be. it should be. It should be. Comp- everything should be automated. Right, right. Okay. And you're
2: in this pets. You're, you're you're in this cattle mindset. You're not upgrading any of those containers. You're making new ones and shooting the old ones. Exactly.
1: Dirty I, cow. Yeah. And <laughs> that can <you>, uh... <laughs> be not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it fits though. Oh, I it? should have known
2: when
0: I mentioned
1: it that it would come up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a dirty, dirty cow. It's a dirty
0: cow. We must kill it. <laughs>
1: The Linux and mobility naming is just weird and wonderful. Like, work, like Heartbleed and Shell Shark. It's like, yeah.
2: Like, Dirty cow. Ocelot uproar. Who <laughs> <laughs> would do that? Nobody does that. Uh, have you spent any time with Nano Server? It's pretty cool. Yes.
1: Yeah, so and most of my time has been spent on Windows Server. Core. Okay. So the reason you've got the both is for the legacy applications and for new shiny um, applications, which you want to deploy onto uh, the one Windows environment. Okay. But obviously, Windows to the core is. Basically, Windows and everything about Windows, too. So that's why you get the gigabytes of images. Yeah, it's big.
2: It's a UI-less Windows still. It is core, but it has the full suite of of Windows services. It's got the
1: Win32 API. And so if your application... Need some legacy old bit of it. It should work. And that's what it's yeah. designed and to. And if do it isn't,
2: it. you can install it. Like, indeed, there's not a lot of stuff default by default in core, but you can add all those things in and IIS will run on it.
1: Yeah. And so that's why I could take the nerd app from 10 years ago. Right. Mm. And just run it. Of, and it would just work because all the APIs and AFP.NET applications work. Mm. Yeah. Um, so Windows Nano is cool, but that's just cut down lightweight yeah. design for more modern applications, which you want to deploy
2: 64 bit only. Oh. One well, of, of the course. ways they've thinned it out is they stripped out all the Windows and of Windows course. stuff. It yeah. is 64-bit only through yeah. and through.
1: Yeah, so that will say that's why
2: it's so small.
1: Yeah, and it's awesome. And then you can now start picking. Like, if you're focused on uh, .NET Core, you can start picking. Like, do I need to run my applications in a Windows based environment? Right. Like, am I, Are we a Windows shop? And yeah, all yeah. of our servers and all of our system administrators know Windows. Right. So let's stay with that. Or like, are we going to push forward and we're going to have lighter VMs and push everything to, uh, well, I mean, if
2: you've got a buildable website or a buildable service that you can just spend a little time to make sure you've, you've, you're all 64 bed, got this, you know, that's in order. You should be able to light up a nano container and give it a spin. And if it works, you're cutting consumption in half. Like, it's not a small exactly. reduction.
1: Yeah. It's a significant chunk. And once you start doing that, then. Like Microsoft is all about the cross-platform now. If you want to start experimenting and you've got this Docker build pipeline in place, you just change the Docker image. And then in Azure Container Service, it would just then deploy into a Linux box instead of a Windows box. And actually from your management experience, because a host doesn't do anything now apart from running containers, you manage it through the container platform, i.e. Kubernetes Mm -hmm. or Swarm or DCOS, uh, DCOS, which is the other cool one. And they've all got Windows Container Support coming. They yeah. all run containers. And that will be your management experience. And that will be your management console.
2: And you said coming. Anybody actually got it working today?
1: It works. It's, uh, people have deployed it. Um, there's lots of companies running Windows Containers. Lots of companies are building towards Windows Containers, get everything in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it only went RTM at like, Build. So be, okay. like, it's still, it's still pretty, pretty young, pretty new. Yeah.
2: Is it production ready? I guess is the question. It's January twentieth. We were you be- ready to go production?
1: People have been in, in production, so it yeah. must be.
2: it's not licenses, so they're allowed yeah. to. I just wonder if it's yeah. fully baked. And it, the classic thing is the instrumentation is not good enough. Can I diagnose what's going on?
1: uh So, in terms of everything which I've experienced. Yes, mm-hmm. it's like you've got all of the tooling, you've got all of the support, you've got all of the hooks there. Yeah. Now, as you start getting into more interesting legacy applications, yeah. you, it may be like, oh yeah, we need some other hooks, right?
2: But but those old legacy apps weren't really written in the first place, so. But <laughs> the reality is, like, it
1: should you should be able to pick it up and drop it into a container and yeah. it work. The question will be: Is we've got this application which no one knows how to deploy? Right. Can anyone actually? Deploy, deploy it, it onto yeah. a new mm-hmm. box, whether it's a new box or yeah. a Lexus box. That, I Dude, think, is it or not, right? Yeah. It's like, it's not deployable. Yeah, and I think that's where companies are probably facing more effort. Mm-hmm. It's like remembering how to automate something which was never automated right? It's a snowflake server running for the last 10 years yeah. but,
2: but it's a worthy goal too to actually sort that Completely. out leave the snowflake alone and this is the nice thing it's like i don't have to go buy new hardware and stuff like that if i have a container environment running lighting up yet another container in that space to experiment with this old snowflake app is almost no cost if we get it to work and then it's like okay now we really need to host this thing properly we might need to do provisional different additional infrastructure in the container space but you've at least, no. You know, most of the time when I'm dealing with these old apps that nobody knows how to build anymore on old hardware, they're terrified of it. They yes. don't want to touch anything on mm. it. So the fact that we can do our experimentation completely away from the running system and can play, and the, the day you get it to work somewhere else, is like, Your life just got a little bit better. That machine Mm. can go away, and we would still be okay. Exactly. And like
1: maybe we can start getting away from, we do one release every six months. Right. (laughs) Because it takes downtime, and we need to test it, and we need to be Well, it takes six months for that
2: release to actually work anyway. That's why we can't get to the next one. Yeah.
1: And so having it all as an automated container, we kind of like, well, it's still that legacy beast. It's still got all of the traditional problems, but we can now automate it more effectively. We have automated deployment for it, at least. How
0: does one update... Uh, an app that's running in a container. I mean, I know that you spin down the current container, spin up a new one. But do you have? Is there a period where you have them both up at once, and then as soon as the first, the, the second one is up, you drop the first one, and the DNS just rolls over? Yeah,
1: indeed. So that's how we manage it um, ourselves. And this is kind of where something like Kubernetes or DCOS they'll just manage that for you. Yeah. And so you'd say, uh, I've got ten instances of my application running on five different hosts yeah. for reliability. Uh here's a new image, here's a new version, uh, just roll that out for me. Is there and any? just do a rolling update, and it will take down one, make sure that it comes back up, make sure it's healthy, and then move on to the
0: next one. Do you lose all your session state for those people who are currently using your web app, let's say?
1: Uh, so that for session state, no, because it should always be stored in something like a Redis or oh, okay. a, like an external SQL server, ASP.NET. So for the client, state.
0: they could not even notice any I, difference. Yeah, between they just get
1: bounced around. Yeah. Uh, and so... For things like WebSockets, it gets a little bit more interesting because like, that's a permanent, long-lived yep. connection. Right. And so you've got two approaches. One is um, kind of roll out the new version and don't send any traffic to the old one, mm. but don't kill any active connections at the same time either. And so oh. let's say that that WebSocket connection will be open for 10 minutes.
0: Use them both until the WebSockets have all gone. Yeah,
1: and so then it will be watching and monitoring. It's like, oh, that user, which was that one last user with the one active WebSocket connection has gone. Right. We can now remove and, uh, delete brilliant. that whole container. Really awesome. In the meantime, all of the new connections would have been going to Good, the, new the new version. One. And so that will happily be running alongside. And yes, it takes some thinking about to get your application supporting that mentality. Yeah. But by that point, like the worst is if you're having a WebSocket connection, you want to roll out and it, like everyone's gone and yeah. everyone's dropped and like, yeah. ah, yeah, that's that not a great worse. experience.
2: Yeah. Rolling updates is not a small piece of science, mm. you know? Yeah. It's. But once you get that, it, it's, it's magic. Experience. Experience. Yeah. But, but yeah. I mean, you can seamlessly do a rolling update, like, I used to do, when I still do talks on web performance, and after we sold Strange Loop, I swore I'd never do another, another one. Yeah. One of the ones I did was called One Server to Two, just how do you get to redundancy? And we talked about there's only three reasons that you'd use multiple servers for apps. Hmm. The first is reliability. Like when something goes down, the site's still up. And the second was performance that you're actually scaling out across machines. Mm-hmm. And the third was rolling updates. That, Yep. Can I update, roll to a new version without dropping a customer anyway way yeah, on, exactly. along the way? Yeah. And what's funny is once you know those are your goals, there's a whole bunch of behaviors that you can debate, that you used to debate, that you're like, well, if we need any of these three goals, you can't do that. Like, sticky session. Mm. You know, like, those sorts of mm-hmm. bad behaviors in scaled systems cripple the actual goal you're trying to get to. Indeed. Yeah,
1: but that's, I will add to you, some certain applications you need yeah. sticky sessions, but with containers you can kind of still deal with that, Yeah. and like instead of having two servers running in parallel, you can have 10 containers all in, in the same version, right. all in the same box. Yeah. And so, yes, it may be sticky, but you can start pulling them down. They're smaller, when,
2: right? Yeah. All you're doing is make it more granular. So you mm. may have to hang that, that, that container for quite a while while you let that person finish up because it, they're stuck to it. Mm. Yep. But the cost of that is low. It's not tying up a whole machine Indeed. or anything. Yeah, exactly. And you're lighting new ones up for all the new traffic. And eventually that person disappears, which means, I mean, a rolling update then might take a few hours if the sessions are really long lived, but it's not going to hurt anybody.
1: Exactly, and if that's your application, then like there's not many ways around that. You're kind no. of stuck with that architectural. Or you toss different. the customer, one or the other. Exactly, and if you want about, the updates to happen faster, come up with a better architecture. Uh-huh. Exactly, uh, okay. And That's like that's a trade-off which you make, or like you abstract that small bit into something which changes even less infrequently. Yep, and so you have your more moving. More frequently released yeah. version, and then you have your web sockets so as a separate container, separate application running, which very f- infrequently needs to be needs released. Needs to be updated, so you don't and care. And you're getting into a monolith going into a microservice yeah. architecture, and uh, now we start to break it down into deployable, repeatable chunks.
2: More, gran- more granular. Yeah. You're you, running. you even could be running multiple versions of it if you have dependencies on older ver- implementations of services. Yeah,
1: exactly. And that's where, that's how you start breaking up a monolith into a microservice, and right. that's where containers can Shine. They yeah. make it easier for you. It exactly. may
0: be obvious to you guys and to the listeners, but you know, every once in a while, you have those moments where, it, it, oh, in days of yore, an architecture meeting—you know, drawing on a whiteboard—most <laughs> of it was trying to figure out how to engineer your way around monolithic problems. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. And now, architecture is more like, what do you want to do? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's,
1: what's the business problem we're trying to solve? Yeah. It? What do right. you want to
0: do? And and. And the tools, just you know, and the containers just make it so easy to be creative in terms of how you get around these problems that they're not problems. They're they're, they turn into almost solutions that write themselves. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely.
1: And like we can start using more modern tooling and like things like Kubernetes, which takes away a lot of the rolling update concerns because someone who's got a lot more time and like focus has thought about that and they've considered it and they've come up with solutions which not only work for your company but work for Everyone's company. Sure. Um, Kubernetes,
0: you said this, but Kubernetes works with Windows containers as well.
1: Yeah. So Microsoft, a company called AppReader and Red Hat are all proactively working on Got it. getting Windows container support into Kubernetes. So not yet. Not yet. Uh, by the time this podcast comes out, who knows? Yeah. Mm. It's like a few weeks from now. It's a few weeks. It's that um, uh, close. Yeah. It, it's the prototypes working. The demos are out there. Mm. If you're, if you're keen, you can get it to work. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, it's just not got that nice packaging release story to
0: it yet. I right. think we already said that, but it's good to reiterate. Sure. Uh what's next for you, Ben? Uh what's next for me? Ah, so I'm going on holiday.
1: Good. Like on Tuesday. So that's like awesome. it's gonna be like NDC's done, I've did some training, like that's all out. So I can now just have a break for a while. And then conferences and Katakoda are always. So yeah. got uh Kung Fu happening in Canada. So I'm looking forward. Never been to Canada before. Oh wow. So that's gonna be exciting. What part so, of Canada are you going to? Uh I believe Montreal. Okay. The flights are booked, everything's booked. I just need to like, it's happening. Yeah. Um, it's either Vancouver or Montreal. I think it's Montreal. And they're so, very far apart from each other. You should get that right. The the flights bookings are definitely right, so I know that. <laughs> um so, I think it's because they had them with Vancouver one. Just in December same That no, it's not. It's virtual. Yeah,
0: yeah. So when you're on holiday and you need to roll out an update with some containers, do you just whip out your phone and and do it on on your in your browser? Is that it that easy?
1: Uh, yeah, I can totally do it from my phone if I wanted to. I try not to because that. In- encourages bad behavior. Uh, well, yeah. I'm always working. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I'll have my laptop with me and yeah. hopefully the pool will have some Wi Fi. And yeah. if I really wanted to do some emergency production patches, just really which obviously never works because Catacode is amazing and it's always like totally reliable awesome. to me. Yeah. Totally. Never a problem. <laughs> it's almost like I didn't write the software for it. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
0: But if you had to do that for a client, you could easily do oh, it yeah. sitting on a beach exactly. somewhere. It's all, it's all
1: automated. It's all got build pipeline yeah. um, around it. So that's it's great. just uh, to Git person, and it kind of just slowly <laughs> goes out into the ecosystem and make sure that it's all healthy and happening. And yeah. if it got problems, then my phone will stop buzzing and nice. it'll fix itself. Hopefully that's the aim. Self-healing, self-healing infrastructure. Sure. It's yeah. the way forward. Totally
0: logical. Well, Ben, thanks for spending this hour with us. It's been great as always. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you, man. Thank you. All right. We'll see you next time on.NET Rocks.